Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, your radio show host and the publisher of Spirit Seeker Magazine. And this show is brought to you each and every week by the magazine. Um, Spirit Seeker is over 22 years old now. Uh, we started off as a print magazine in St. Louis, and then we expanded to Kansas City, and then reached out to Chicago and. We are now in those three cities as well as West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we've been published online since 1998. So we, um, we encourage you to join our email list. Uh, by doing that, you will be you know, sent information on who the radio show guests are, when the magazine is online. Um, most of our readers are online these days uh, because that's just the way it is these days. So we were ahead of the curve uh, starting to publish online in 1998. Um, and so please do send us an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com, asking to be added to our email list, or you can go to the Spirit Seeker site and there's a um, join our email newsletter and click on from there. Um, we, um, we give away books, we give away um, tickets to things, and all, we just get so many different things, DVDs, CDs, and we bless our um, subscribers. And um, we, we know that you listen to the show, and I want to remind everyone that the minute the radio show is uh, complete, within a matter of minutes, it's uh, turned into a podcast to where you can access it any time of the uh, day or night. If you like the show, please like us on Blog Talk. It's Blog Talk Radio forward slash Cindy Meyer, and that's C-Y-N-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know, that, you know, if they can't listen live, they can listen to the podcast later. Okay, so that's, that's it for announcements. Um, I'm delighted to bring my guest on. Um, tonight I am interviewing Andrew Newman, who is a graduate of the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. He has been uh, very, very involved in men's work through the Mankind Project since 2006. His additional portfolio of work includes publishing over 2,500 donated poems as the Poem Catcher, uh, volunteer coordinator for Habitat for Humanity in South America, and directing the um, Edinburgh's Festival of Spirituality and Peace. Uh, Newman's Conscious Bedtime Story Club is the culmination of all of these areas of experience intending, um, intended to bring parent and child into deeper connection and spiritual unit with each other. This month in the um, March issue of Spirit Seeker, there's a wonderful, wonderful article on Conscious Parenting, the Intersection of uh, Psychology, Spirituality, and Education. So at this time, I'd like to bring Andrew on. Andrew, welcome to the show. Cindy, good evening. What a great pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I mean, you have been very busy. I mean, I looked at all the things that you, uh, besides the books, and I'm like, my goodness. Um, so you, you strike me as someone who um, believes in causes and has a huge heart. And I guess my question to you is, growing up, did you know that you, I mean, how, did you look at the world and say, I'm going to make this world a better place? Or what were, you, what were you like as a kid and looking at the bigger bigger world? Yeah, I, had a, I had a very sheltered childhood. It was sheltered in part because I grew up in apartheid South Africa. And our family sort of kept the, kept our heads down and, and um, and uh, my parents ran a small business, and um, you know, and I, I could say that my nature was always um, more drawn to the the softer aspects of life. I, I, I you know always loved animals, always loved connection with um, other other children. With um, I worked, I grew up across the road from the horse riding for the disabled, and so it was very normal for me to be. Um, crossing between worlds in in some way of wealth and poverty and mindset and ability. Um, I'm not sure that that I was that kid who said, "Hey, I'm going to grow up and and be a uh, be a healer." Uh, in fact, the, the friends who who uh, who I had in my early twenties when I turned around and said I was going to do this, uh, sort of everybody was a little bit shocked and horrified. I thought, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't an obvious turn. I didn't see it coming, and neither did they. Yeah. So how did you get drawn to Barbara Brennan? Because I have been a fan of Barbara Brennan for as long as, you know, I knew of her work. Um, I mean, and that school is, what, a four-year school or five-year school? 
It's a, it's a, yeah, the undergraduate is a four-year training. There's an advanced studies course that I'm, uh, I've gone back to do. I'm, uh, I'm, an, I'm currently enrolled again at the school, which again, something not, a, not something I saw coming. Um, but the very first healing I ever had, and I would have been 29 years old, I think, when I had it. I'd never heard about healing. I didn't know what it was, but, uh, but I'd left a fourth-generation family jewelry business and. I didn't know who I was, and apparently this healer could tell me something about my life purpose, which is very exciting for me. And um, I immediately booked an appointment and went and had a healing, and, and she came out of the the, the session and said, um, you, can, you can do this work. And I sort of looked at her blankly and said, what do you mean, what work? <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, and she said, well, look, you know, you can work with healing touch. And uh, uh, she was great. It's one of the best pieces of advice. I'd still like, I would give this piece of advice to any human being on the planet, but it's so well delivered. She just said, if you're ever with someone who needs support or who is stressed, make sure that you put a hand on them and make contact because there is a current of, of healing energy and uh, that's available to pass through you. And she said, maybe you want to read something. And I picked up Barbara Brennan's book, Hands of Light from her bookshelf and uh, she looked at me and said I suggest you start with something easier <laughs> well that book is brilliant you know and yes. you felt you felt the vibration of it I did I traveled with that book uh, I, you know I did my my Reiki one when I was traveling somewhere and I, I, was, I was in a backpackers in the north of Scotland with a sign on the notice board saying free Reiki, sign up here, and we're doing Reiki in the pub, and we're doing, <laughs> you know, it didn't, really, it didn't really matter in those days. It was like, it was just this exploration, and it was a, a, an amazing, I, I was blown away. I was like, why has nobody told me that I've got this ability? Why has nobody told me that this is just such a natural human exchange to make contact and have safe touch and uh, uh, really grow safety, love, and belonging through um uh, in, in the way in the way that the movement of energy does when it's done compassionately. Right. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I started off as a nurse in the uh, in my early twenties, and was a nurse until my thirties, and then you know I kind of went a different path. Actually, um, uh, complementary healing. You know, I, I was drawn to every kind of energy medicine, any kind of anything. You know, that worked with the energy in the body, because I knew as a nurse a lot of these illnesses, they weren't, they, they maybe ended up physical, but they started off with imbalances before. And then finally, when they got to the physical, they're like, oh, something's off here. And, you know, right. I can remember when, you know, they call it ICD-9 codes, the, the codes to get insurance to pay. They found a code that when they had premature infants in those isolates, where you would have to put your hands through the portals to, to do anything with them because, you know, basically they yes. were very um, fragile. They found a code. They found that the babies thrived and, uh, and, and grew better by touch. So there was an insurance yeah. billing code where they would literally have the nurses put their hands through the portals, the little holes, and put their hands on the babies because the babies thrived better. Now, isn't that, like, amazing that... You know, you would think they would have known that anyway, but but it was validated, and um, right. and then at a local hospital in St. Louis, they uh, it was with Healing Touch practitioners. They worked on the on the patients. It was like a a blind study. They were sleeping, and they had people come and work on them. Never touched them. Only worked in the energy field, and they did these studies, and they found that the people who had that touch, like just in the energy field, but still they were touched, as we both know, they they got better faster. So now, you know, hospitals are a little more open um, because anything that gets people better faster, it's you know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, and I think I think in many ways, it's the, the, the once this becomes obvious, it's so obvious you can't deny it. But there are um, there are still um, what, what I would describe as as uh, pockets or bands of consciousness. Um, and people who are in those bands of consciousness that don't yet have this experience. Um, and I, and I, I can't have any judgment of them because I remember that intimately for myself and what it was like. Um, and I, I, I'm very grateful that I learned these different things. It appears that you know, you've just described a great example of the, the edge of life with those newborns that 
uh, we pioneer in different ways at the age of life. And I've worked with patients in coma. Um, uh, and if I look at look at the amount of love and care and humanity that shows up in in every hospice environment, um, I have to wonder why can't that be prevalent throughout all of our medical treatment, all of our uh, our self care environment? Why do we wait to those those fringe edges to uh, to show up and be so deeply open hearted? Right. There, there, there was a friend of mine who um, trained in uh, all kinds of alternative healing. She was a psychologist, and she was actually asked to speak at one of the teaching hospitals in St. Louis um, how to be more compassionate as a doctor. They, they are not taught that. They are taught strictly to, um, to, to keep people alive. I mean, you know, and, you know, it's, it's changed with hospice. You know, I remember I was fascinated with hospice. I wrote a paper on hospice in 1975. That's how. That's wow. how it just. Because I thought, what a humane way of when someone knows that you know you have a choice. You can keep doing all this, or you can just you know surrender and be with your loved ones at home. And it came out of France. You know, hospital and hospice both came from you know the root word from from in France. That's where it came from. And the and the hospice movement started with. How how kind and so much more dignity be at home with your loved ones rather than in some sterile in, uh, hospital, you know? And and you know, it's a it's now you know very very um, different. They have palliative care, hospice care, but you know the doctors aren't trained. Even now, they just don't mm. understand. That's very true. Yeah. In other parts of the world, they do though. And you know, I interviewed someone from Poland one time who they teach these doctors and nurses in one weekend. Now, you and I know that one weekend is scratching the surface, but but in one weekend, they teach them how to do basic compassionate energy work, and they send them back out to the hospitals and work on the people. It's like you know, and my father-in-law uh, was very ahead of his game. He was in charge of all five boroughs of New York City, the Hebrew home for the aged. And he realized from his own personal experience that Reiki took pain away. So he had nurses in every one of these facilities trained in Reiki so that when they had an older person who just had pain, they could go in and, and smooth it out and help them. So, you know, I think, I think you know, what the work that you're doing with the children and the parents with conscious parenting and, you know, I loved your story you know, and I'll let you tell it, but I loved how your poem became alive with the illustration. So let's segue into that, um, and then we can come back mm. to um, revisit what we were talking about. But um, but I know that your your work is making an impact. So how how did you go from being this phenomenal healer after being in the diamond business with your family, and then all of a sudden at your you know at age 29, that's your Saturn return, by the way. I don't know if you know that. That's right. So, Nobody who's 29 knows it's coming. Yeah, yeah. People think it's because it's, oh, I'm getting close to 30. I better get my life together. Oh, no, it's Saturn doing its thing. So how perfect that, you know, you were led. And I also noticed you had Deepak Chopra on one of the photos on your site. And I remember hearing Deepak Chopra speak. It was many, many years ago. I think it was like 2008. And he, may have been earlier than that, though. And he said, pay attention to the people that are around you. He said, it used to be synchronicity, synchronistic events would line up. He said, we're way past that. We're into synchro destiny. And he said, so when you're in a pot of people, chances are you've worked together in another lifetime and you're being called in a different configuration this time to work together again. And I, I think consciousness, you know, attracts other people that are awake and then look what happens with it. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing. I mean, that that story about Deepak, I, I, I would, had the good fortune of being opening speaker for Deepak Chopra at the Oregon Convention Center. Um, and it again, it came it came together through, call it synchronicity, call it synchrodestiny. Uh, I won a competition to, uh, to be opening speaker. And um, uh, really, that competition is very, uh, it, whilst that happened, I think, 18 months ago, um, 
one of the one of the other competitors in that competition she runs a phenomenal charity called a pile of puppies they literally take puppies and put them in the homes with terminally terminally ill children and um, and 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 it's like what was woven in that competition and in that meeting and in that moment which uh, was very much a, a deep accented moment um has has, uh, has had a lot of life and continued um and I, I, I mean, we can. I, I don't. I, I don't need to pull us back to the books, but I know we want to talk about them as well. It's like you were. You were asking how. Um, how did Diamond Diamond Jeweler become a healer? Become a, a kids' book author, um, and and I give a lot of credit to to the time at the at the Brennan School when I was training because they had this encouragement that we live with the attitude of an artist, and. Uh, and so I started journaling, and I, I, I was I was bored with my own journaling in a way because you know I didn't want to get to the end of the day and say, oh, well I did this and I did that, and um, just to say I'm thankful thankful for this or I'm thankful for that. But I would I would describe my day poetically uh, of the things that I'd seen, and that you know that was quietly happening in the background, and then one day I, I wrote this poem that I thought needed some pictures and uh, and that became my first book it is it's called a little light and it's all about this light that intends to shine and, and be radiant and beautiful and uh, if you go through the book with through with with uh, the filter or the lens of Barbara Brennan you'll see I'm talking about the core essence about the the intentionality and life purpose about the auric field and about the physical body and um how how those uh, cooperate and uh, uh occupy the same space and same time when we have the fullness of health beautiful you know i think people who are able to create poetry you know it's a very beautiful thing and um to then be able to segue that gift into these books, it's just, I mean, I, I just find it fascinating. And um, you have how many books now? I mean, you have a lot of books. Twelve? Well, there's, there's, 12 there's 12 available as of today. Um, okay. Always, always more in the pipeline is, uh, is what I can add there. But we have, uh, we have 12 titles. We have um, A Little Light was the first one. Um, closely followed by well, it was actually four years after that that the next one came out, and that was um, the fish who searched for water, uh, the tree of goodness, and the bee who could not choose her flower. Those uh, those four were what started the project for me. But I didn't even know um, who I served or why I was writing. All I was doing was following my own my own creative impulse, and uh, that's uh, something that I. Uh, I put out a huge amount of encouragement to people to to say just follow your own your own creative impulse and 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 also don't don't edit it in, uh, right at the beginning and worry about editing your own creativity uh, otherwise we'll never get to what's beneath it. I think that's very true, very very true, and you know that's why so many authors never finish their books because they're. You know, they just need to get it finished, and then that's what an editor is for, or you know, the person who takes it and then you know finishes it. You know, but um, but you know, April is uh, National Poetry Month, and so I thought I was really excited with April coming in this interview, timed with that, and you know, this is a, a personal segue. Um, I had forgotten that my mother um, wrote poetry at at this one point mm. in her life. Um, I had been hired. Um, not hired, I didn't get paid, but I was asked to be a speaker at the Greater St. Louis Hospice Association and to teach the hospice, um, you know, the people in charge of all the hospices about complementary and alternative healing and how that could um, be added as a component to the, the hospices as they were, so to speak. And so this was scheduled like months ahead. And, um, you know, besides the magazine, I did 28 holistic conferences, so I knew a lot of the different modalities, and, you know, I'm trained in a bunch. And so my mom um, was diagnosed with terminal cancer and had just entered into hospice care and was living in my home. And the day that I was scheduled to speak 
was the very first day a hospice volunteer was coming to be with her. So, and she was asleep when I was leaving. I was very nervous. I said, she's, she's, you know, my mom's going to wake up and there's going to be a stranger here. And this lady was so kind. She said, you are not to worry. Your mother and I will be just fine. So I go off. I, I'm giving this presentation. And I came home and, Andrew, it was the most amazing thing. Here is my mom with her hair totally different. This lady did her hair. They've got music on this little, you know, music player. I don't I guess she had it with her. And they're reading um, Shel Silverstein's poetry, poetry book. Yes, yes. This is like all this stuff happened while I'm speaking. <laughs> and that's what reminded me, like, oh, my gosh, my mom wrote this poetry. So I said something to my older brother, and he says, oh, I know right where that is. I packed up her you know, apartment, I know right where that box is with her poems. And so we were able to bring that, her poetry, we, we published it in, you know, we did her um, ceremony, and we shared her poetry with everyone because we put it as part of the memorial service. And I, it's like, isn't it amazing how it all lines up? And the poetry that she wrote was so beautiful. And if it hadn't been for that hospice volunteer, this would never have happened. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, uh, my my, uh, you you included in my introduction a little mention of the of the poem catcher, and that was that was a, a an adventure of mine that happened shortly after the Haiti earthquake, and at the time I was living in Scotland, and I didn't have any money, but I wanted to contribute. Everybody's everybody's hearts were going, and and wallets were directed towards Haiti and, and the devastation that was happening there. And I took myself off to St. Andrews and uh, there was Scotland's National Poetry Festival was happening that weekend, um, but I couldn't afford a ticket. And I just, uh, I went to the, the opening event that was free. And uh, uh, the next day I, I found a spot in the sun and I put out a a sign and I sat down on the sidewalk with a sign that said donate a poem um, and I put my hat out and I spent the day begging for poetry for the people of Haiti and uh, over three days I received 139 poems uh, from people who just stopped on the sidewalk to write something spontaneously each day we had a word of the day and the, 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 the predominant one was quake and um, somebody said to me, what are you doing with these poems? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, you should make a book. And I said, okay, I'll do that. Uh, how do I do that? And he told me. And um, <laughs> this, this, this was, this was uh, uh, predated. Uh, um, this, a little light was happening in the background, but I hadn't gotten to the point of, of needing to know how to make a book yet. And then I started selling a book that I hadn't finished making. And we sold 21 copies of this, this poetry book called Quake, Built from Nothing. And uh, because of that, I then had to make it. And we made a, made a hundred, uh, had enough money to print a hundred copies. The, the first 21 got shipped to the people who had pre-ordered them. Uh, the next 79 we sold at a fundraiser, made another 100, sold those again, and then uh, a check for 500 pounds went off to SOS Children's Villages in Haiti. Uh, and, and one of the books got presented to Prince Charles by one of the, the street poets. I mean, it's fantastic. How this happens, I don't know. But but uh, Caroline May said, I told Caroline the story when I when I met her, and she said, when you're aligned with your archetype, um, and this was archetypal beggar, archetypal jester, um, out on the streets. And she says, she says things just move so quickly. Right, because they felt your sincerity. And you know, it, it, this is what you know is so interesting about intention. You you channel the the idea, and you didn't say, oh, that's a ridiculous thing. Instead, you're like, oh, yeah. Not even knowing why you were collecting those poems, but you were divinely led. And inspired, you did it, and it's like that's the magic of life. That is, to me, is just you know. I mean, who would have ever thought that that would wind up in the hands of Prince Charles? I mean, that's no, no. divine. <laughs> Couldn't have guessed. You know, and you know, and you know, the Deepak thing. You know, uh, that was the TEDx talk, wasn't it, in Finthorn? 
Um, no, no, that that was an earlier talk than that, but there was also a TEDx talk that uh, we're waiting on the editorial of it that's being worked on this week. Um, I spoke in Findorn Foundation in the north of Scotland. That was uh, uh, early February. Um, speaking on why the last 20 minutes of the day matter, uh, that's, that's become my my mission and my it's a fairly singular point of focus at the moment for me. Um, I'm starting to understand more and more about the importance of that time for children to help their uh, to help integrate their uh, their challenging moments in the in moments in the day and you know really what what benefits they are when they receive a love and connection um, at that time of day. Well, and to do it, you know, you're, you're teaching, this is my take on it, what you're, you know, I was always one that read the stories to the kids, but, you know, they didn't have books like this at that time. Um, you know, what you're doing is you're teaching the, the unwinding and getting ready to go into dream state with this whole beautiful close to the day and then the entry into the next part of the day, you know, the dream state, and to learn how to, it's almost self-soothing, but also um, it's it's thought-provoking, you know, the children, but it's not enough too much to stimulate them where they're not sleeping, it's it's quite beautiful, this this 20-minute time, I mean, why don't you talk about it like, like a story, do you have any stories of children who, or parents who have shared how this tradition has changed their families and their lives absolutely i mean i I have i have parents writing to me all the time with with little anecdotes of what's going on in the home Uh, the uh, just a a piece of context for for someone who hasn't seen one of my books they all start with something that we call the snuggle breathing meditation Um, it is uh, four very simple breaths that uh, are done as a as a, a paired or shared breathing exercise uh, focused around I breathe for me, I breathe for you, I breathe for us, and I breathe for all that surrounds us. Um, now, obviously, when we're doing it as an exercise, it's a lot slower than than when I just ran through it. But I have a uh, I have a family who are part of the subscription club. It's just one of the ways that uh, that people can. Uh, engage and get these stories is to join the subscription club and this family has a 13 month old and you'd think well okay 13 months what are we what are we reading to kids and why are we reading to them um and um they they chose actively to try out the the snuggle breathing meditation and to see what the experience of it was and they wrote to me to say you know within five days this little uh, infant is uh, completely matching them with the breath. There's this beautiful little outside that happens as as they do the breathing together, and it's like mum breathes in, and the little one's following and tracking that. Um, thirteen. And now, thirteen months. And and Amazing. now, why is that important? You know, this is this is the you know, why bother. Um, is kind of the question. The, the fastest possible way to build um, uh, a bridge of connection between myself and another um, is through paired breathing. Um, it's uh, it's almost instantaneous. This is something that I learned in a hospital environment when I was working with patients in coma. Um, they're obviously non-communicative, and the the uh, the first thing that we do when arriving to the, the bedside and assessing the atmosphere around the bed was to look at the breath of the the, uh, the injured person and to match our breath to theirs. Um, and it opens up this, this beautiful uh, portal or doorway through which togetherness can happen. And I'm chasing togetherness because... Every experience of wounding is um, flavored with separation and uh, and disconnection. 
and therefore the the, the healing response or the the, the remedy for uh, moments of painful separation and disconnection is to create togetherness and connection. And uh, and and you know for for no other reason let's do the breathing so that uh, so that that um, that feeling of belonging can be can be recreated and with that uh, safety and a sense of love. That makes total sense to me. You know, I was working on my MBA when I was introduced to breathwork. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Sandra Ray or Leonard Orr, but Sandra Ray, oh, it was my 37th birthday, and I was in this backyard in a suburb, St. Louis, and we're chanting in Sanskrit, we're doing breathing things, and she had just come back from the Himalayas, and every time she would hit the tape recorder, she'd blow it out. Her energy was so high. And then the next night, I heard her speak in front of 300 people, and she kept, you know, she just kept saying, you know, the children of today are our teachers. We, we think we're their parents, but really, we're just, the, we're given this blessing of having this opportunity with these little bright beings. They're here to teach us. They're here to clean things up. And, you know, I signed up for her breathwork program. I mean, all, she kept saying, if you don't like your life, change it. But breath, breathwork is the fastest way I know, she, she said, to change it. And, you know, it was, it's interesting. I, um, I signed up for the program never even having had a breathwork session, but I just knew that if it could do half of, even a fourth of what this woman said it could do, I knew I wanted it. I was on board. And so what you just described with that matching of the breath and that union and that connection so deeply, I mean, I get it. I totally get it. And that's beautiful, Andrew. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And teaching children and parents how to how to do that and, you know, breathing for the world, for breathing for everyone. I mean, how beautiful is that? I, that's just exquisite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, it's so nice to hear back from families that are using it. And, and something shifted in society and in terms of, uh, you know, there, there's still many families who who find a, a great deal of pleasure and joy in the in the religious church structures, but but there's been a major change on a global level around that, and and this emergence of um, psychology, the the Eastern spirituality. I'm talking about the last 40 years, but it's still fresh, and um, the evening ritual has used to be, you know, on your on your knees saying your prayers. And um, and for the families that have lost that, there's often a void and something nothing's taken its place. Um, and you know, my encouragement is that you find something to take its place. I don't mind what the something is, but it's an important liminal moment. This is the transition that you spoke about between day and night. This is a time of integration. Um, you know, I, I, the 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 stories that I have the most the most. Uh, feedback about most fun was the the hug who got stuck. Uh, I mean, we posted onto our Facebook recently. Hey, which is your favorite story? And so everybody's been chiming in. A lot of people like the hug who got stuck, and it's teaching children to access their heart and to get free from sticky thoughts. Um, and so we're in the the age old battleground or, or, or potential battleground of the head and the heart, and are they going to cooperate and work together? And by creating worlds and heroic characters uh, who go on these, uh, these these adventures through the stories, the children who are reading it get to learn from the victories of the characters. They get to uh, to take on board. Wow. Okay. What does a stuck hug um, look and feel like? And I mean, it's it's. Uh, um, you know, on on a little excerpt from the story. Um, gives us gives us that um, that uh, that feeling because we say on most days you could see streams of hugs entering and leaving the door of the heart zooming away like bees from a hive, but not on this day. On this day, it was a problem. One special hug on its way out of the heart got stuck, very very stuck. And we see that inside the heart became horribly congested with crowds of hugs waiting to get out. And outside the heart, there was also a problem. A traffic jam of visiting hugs 
couldn't get in to deliver their special love and care. And soon the factory stopped making new hugs. And so it's like this, 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 the book gets a little bit dark and it gets a little bit like, oh no. And children, when I would do this at schools or whether it's parents that I hear from that, they hang on this moment. They want to know what happened to the hug. They want to know, is it going to get free? Is it going to stay stuck? What, you know, where are we going uh, with this adventure? And um, uh, uh, it's just, uh, just so, so uh, brings so much delight to see them come on the journey as the, as the hug uh, gets unstuck, gets free, and the kids get the, the message um, passed to them as to how they can free themselves when their thoughts are getting in the way of their, uh, the flow of their love. I'm telling you, Andrew, these books are for kids and parents too because, you know, when we raise our kids, we, when we go back like, and we remember our own childhoods, but, but it's like these teachings are for anyone at any point, you know, and that's the beautiful part is you're opening the hearts of the parents, you're opening the hearts of the children, you're teaching them. I mean, these are just wise beyond, beyond words. I mean, I, I, I thought, I wonder which one was your favorite because I, I would have a hard time saying, I mean, if I were you, because <laughs> this is so special. But, you know, do you have, like, was there one that you just were like, oh, this is it? Or did you get that with probably each and every one of them? The, the arrival moment, the way that stories arrive to me, and, uh, you know, it's not just me sitting down going, oh, I think I want to write a book. Usually there's a, there's a community experience that I'm somehow part of. And um, so with The Boy Who Searched for Silence was – was such a radiant writing moment. I'd been on a silent retreat uh, with uh, um, the art of living in Sri Sri Ravi Shankar's uh, body of work and uh, four days of, of silent meditation, not allowed a pen, not allowed a, a journal. And I got to the end of this um, and uh, there was this little tap, tap, tap on the inside of my head, which has become familiar. And I thought I'll go and get my pen. And, um, and, uh, and the story wrote itself in five minutes. And, um, and that that still this is the story that I I lead my uh, my classroom encounters with with kids. It's the one that I take into um, uh, talks because um, it's a direct transmission of the stages we need to go through to to fall inwards um, and to land into the silence that is within us. And uh, you know whether it's kindergarten kids. Or, um, or like at the uh, recently I spoke in Dallas at the Power of One conference, it, it, it a whole room full of adults. Um, the the sound I, I'm going to sound like Simon and Garfunkel, but the sound of silence when a group of people falls into it together is just right. the most beautiful thing for me. Uh, once again, I mean, on my wish list is one of the Vespasna 10-day retreats where you don't talk for 10 days. It's funny, I, I have this friend who's um, in charge. He and his wife have had the Philadelphia and New York rebirthing centers, breathwork centers, I don't know, probably 35, 40 years. And, you know, so Tony's had a couple, maybe three marriages, I'm not sure, but he had kids from a couple of the different marriages, and his current wife is just fabulous. And they would all go on vacation together. They would go to Disney World or... I don't know, like the, the ex-wives, the kids, the new people who were attached, it really didn't. It was just, you know, I mean, they could pull it off. And I, and I used to just be like, oh, my gosh, how sweet that they can do that. And then when Tony turned 60, we're 10 years apart, so I'm 63. He's probably 73. But when he turned 60, he gave himself a birthday gift of a Vespasna 10-day silent retreat. Right. That is what he's done for his birthday every year since. He gives himself that, you know, Ten days away, and and I, Ravi Shankar was in St. Louis. I don't know four or five years ago, and Spirit Seeker um, was a sponsor. And I mean, there were like over a thousand people in that room. And when he had us meditate, I mean, it it was just very, very amazing with that many people going into the right. silence. Right. Right. And he, yeah. and he has a he has a very big heart for a community and for togetherness. And um, that's why, and sort of acts of acts of service, 
uh, are a very big part of the Ravi Shankar community. Uh, my my experience of Vipassana, and I, I, I have once done the 10-day sit, uh, was that it's very, very individual. Um, and um, that's okay. I mean, just, just to notice the difference in the two experiences. The, the so silent the- retreat I went on with Ravi Shankar, we were all swimming in the in a in a lake together at lunchtime, but just not talking to each other. It was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> whereas, whereas with the 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 Vipassana, there's like this noble silence. And you 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 don't even make eye contact with another human being uh, for ten days. It's uh, ay ay ay. But it's, okay, that, well that, that takes you to different places, right? And um, <laughs> you just helped um, me totally. Well, and you know, seventy percent of communication is nonverbal. I mean, and that's why yeah. when you were talking about the eye gazing and breathing, that's like you mm-hmm. immediately, like everything's gone. All the barriers are gone. I mean, eye gazing, right. breathing, and that's, you know, when you were describing, you know, with a patient who's in a coma or a person who's in a coma, they're still there. They are there. It's just that they're right. in a different different zone, you know. And, you know, when people come out of comas, how many times have we heard? They heard every word, you know, and that's why, right. you know, doctors in operating rooms, when, you know, they give people anesthesia, you know, it's not okay to joke and things. It's like this is, it, it's nice when they play music in the room and they set the the tone because everything's recorded. Everything's right. recorded. I mean, right. you're, you're talking about, I mean, Peggy Huddleston, amazing work up, uh, on prepare for surgery heal faster it's a it's a deeply hypnotic state and um she has people go into surgery with affirmations taped to their hospital gown and she you ask the nurse to say it to you whilst you're under because uh because it goes right in and um, right. hypnotic suggestion there's, there's something else that happens just in that story time you spoke about about the breathing creating connection one of the other things that changes is the the posture and and rank and now if you're a, a parent and you're you're talking to your kid and it's like eat your dinner you know put your pajamas on brush your teeth get ready for bed that posture is front to front you're uh, uh, it's instructional um, and the parent has rank over the child um, and um, when you climb into bed uh, with them to to do a story uh, all of that disappears you are side by side, your allies, um, your your comrades, and you get to enter this world of story together um, as uh, as companions. Um, and a parents tell me that uh, it's interesting because parents will get frustrated that their kids um, get chatty just at that transition point when they're going to bed. And and I always say. Be, be ready for the surprise. Be ready for the chat. This is a, an incredible moment. It's because of the change of posture. It's because of the engagement with fantasy. It's because of uh, of uh, uh, the, the the liminal transitional moment at the end of the day that something's open in them and is available to surface. And uh, please, please, please don't close that down. Rather catch that and use that as a said to go in, in to understand uh, what inspires them, what's moving in their world, what are they curious about, what are they struggling with. Um, and and your act of following them in that moment uh, is uh, immensely supportive. They, they then they go to sleep with, with their unresolved issues um, from the day that have been calmed, have, the repair work's done. Uh, the, the, the brain is going to spend eight hours stabilizing and enhancing the last thoughts of the day. We know this. We've been to, I mean, I'm sure you've been to sleep on an argument before, Cindy, and, and, and thought, well, maybe it'll be gone by the morning. <laughs> you know, and then you wake up in the morning and it's like, oh my God, I'm still having this argument. It's like it's still in my head. I've been arguing for eight hours, but I was asleep. Right. Yeah, with my with my daughter when she was little, if she was talking about something before she would go into the sleep state, she would awaken and it would be right there. There it was. It was like it never went away. And right, um, you know, it's like and when, with affirmations. You know, we always encourage, or you know, in my coaching uh, practice, I encourage people. You know, start your day with your morning affirmations, and the the best is to end the day with your evening affirmations because. 
you're setting the the tone and your guides and angels and all of your systems while you're sleeping are all mm. synergistic together. And it's like, so so teaching children and parents, you know, this is a, I, I can't stress this enough. It's like, it's for children, but it's the parents and children. It's this connection that happens like you described it. And you can just mm. see it. And, you know, when I when the books arrived um, from, from Satyama, I was like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, I don't have grandchildren yet, but I know I will. And um, mm. I'll tell you a story about that in a second with Deepak. But um, at any rate, so I just was like, I am not giving these books away. I'm keeping these books because I want them, you know, when, when my uh, grandchildren are born. Um, here's a Deepak story. Uh Okay, so when in India, when a person dies, they do the the, the pier out in the middle of a field, you know, the bodies on the pier right. and the ashes. And, you know, you'll have a wedding going on over in one part of the field and maybe a family reunion in another or children playing kickball or something, and then here's this funeral. So after the ashes are done, they take it. Um, there's a person who stores everything, and, he, and it, he's like the keeper of the archives of the knowledge of the families. And so when Deepak took his father's ashes, his um, this this man, this wise man, said, "Would you like to write a letter to your granddaughter?" And he said, "I don't have a granddaughter." And he says, "But you will." And he said, mm-hmm. "Oh." And so he wrote this letter, and it was like five years later when the granddaughter was born. But he actually wrote this letter to his granddaughter that, and you know, that is there. I mean, if it had been like where he wasn't here, she would have gotten that. It was just very, it was very sweet. I thought, I thought, you know, like mm. different cultures are so different with the connection between children and grandparents, and um, and what you're teaching through these books is just phenomenal. Um, so I'm going to take uh, just a moment. I want to, you know, because people listen to this at all hours of the day and night. Okay, so one of the books is the elephant who tried to tiptoe, reminding children right. to love. Mm-hmm the body they have. Um, mm-hmm. the, another one is the hug who got stuck, and uh, Andrew talked about this, but it's teaching children to access their heart and get free from sticky thoughts. Um, another one is the boy who yearned for silence. We've talked about that one too. Um, helping young children find silence within themselves. Uh, the bee who could not chase her flower. Supporting children to make clear choices and be happy. The prayer who searched for God helping children use prayer and breath to find God within themselves. How Diablo became spirit, showing children how to connect uh, how to connect with animals and respect all living beings. A little light, connecting children with their inner light so they can shine. The dad who didn't know, encouraging children to accept help from others. The fish who searched for water, we talked about that briefly, helping children find comfort in what they already have. The forgetful elephant, helping children return to their true selves when they forget who they are. The laughing witch, teaching children about sacred space and honoring nature. And the last one, the tree of goodness, the tree of goodness, growing children's self-belief in their natural goodness. And, you know, these books can be purchased individually or you can get the full collection um, that you can purchase holiday gift cards. This is all at um, ConsciousStories.com. And, um, you know, and Andrew, tell us about some of the awards you've won, uh, one for your books. Uh, well, the series got picked up by uh, the Moonbeam Award. So we have a, a Moonbeam Silver Award for the whole series. Um, and then uh, in, the, in the early days, uh, Mum's Choice Gold Award picked up uh, four of the titles. Um, the first four that we named, they're, they're all on the website, ConsciousStories.com. Uh, Elephant to Try to Tiptoe Laughing, which Boy Who Searched for Silence, and um, The Hug Who Got Stuck. And those, those were the four that, uh, that won that one. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, an amazing journey. I mean, it was always a vision for me to, to build out a, a subscription community um, because... Uh, for families, you know, some families are going to want one or two, and, uh, you know, that's great. But for the families that want a deeper, a deeper relationship, uh, both with me, both with other families who support the same values, we can start to build that as the subscription club goes. So uh, we do have our, our uh, 
our first uh, 70 families around the U.S. who are on um, uh, a book a month. They get coloring in books and magnets and stickers. And um, uh, there's a full moon story time every month that we do live on Zoom. And, uh, yeah, for me, it's just been an amazing uh, blessing to, to be able to pursue a creative, spiritual, heartfelt endeavor um, to towards um, towards growing a business and a, uh, and a community and being a resource in the world with uh, the healing work that I've I've uh, integrated in this particular way. Well, and you do coaching also. Um, why don't you talk about that just a little bit? I mean, that's a wonderful service you're offering. Right, and 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 the, there is a. You know, I didn't set out to be—I didn't set out to be a coach or to to think about, wow, I'm going to be a professional healer. At the time, when I told you earlier, I was doing that—that that work. It was because I didn't know who I was, um, and I didn't know um, how to be in the world. Nobody had really helped me, uh, given me the feedback I needed to learn these things about myself. Um, and along the way, people started saying to me, you know, can you, uh, can you help? And um, and uh, the, I mean, the answer was, was yes. I had the training to help and the inclination. I love supporting people in finding their uh, unique purpose in in getting uh, centered in themselves. Um, I do work with um, a lot of work with men through uh, the Mankind Project, but who then also come and work independently with me, uh, um, parents and non-parents alike. Uh, how do we stay centered in ourselves? How do we connect? to the essence that is beneath our, our psychological issues, that, that is beneath our, our fears and doubts, but is, you know, the true nature of who we are. And I take people through um, a process to, uh, to do that. We, we always start with a barometer reading, which is going, okay, where's your, where's your true north? Uh, everybody's got some, some successes that they can celebrate uh, right now and today. And I think that uh, we're very good at pathologizing ourselves and, and seeing all our negative judgments and all of our inner critic. And we're not so good at seeing um, also the victories that are right here. Um, and so I always look at a balance of that. And then for, fa- for, for uh, people who choose to go deeper, um, we we go on a um, a ten week eight session journey to um, to build the foundation more strongly to also clear away some of the the heavy baggage that uh, that we can carry around so um, our uh, our lightness can shine through. It's such a it's, I, I must say that for me it's like such a privilege to be able to work with people in this way. I feel that. Um, probably got the best job on the planet and um and that people uh, uh trust me to help them with that i mean that it just feels very special for me people only go as deeply as they feel safe and you know your approach to whatever you're doing is compassion and helping people get out of their head and into their heart and anytime you know, I mean, this is this is an 11 year 2018. It um, vibrationally, it's an 11, which is all about spirituality and being of service and taking it higher. And that's in Tibetan numerology, but in traditional numerology, it reduces to two, which is really about partnerships and communication and setting boundaries. And so it's really interesting to have this whole thing of, you know, self nurturing. You know, putting not putting yourself before others, but Actually, I call it sacred honoring, you know, and a lot of people put everything else before them, and then at the end of the day, they're spent. Instead of, you know, learning to take that time to go inside and taking that time to disconnect and taking this 20 minutes to connect with your child or connect with yourself. I mean, and, you know, this is this year's magical, and, you know, if we really are of service and wanting to make the world a better place, it's just magic can happen this year. And, you know, you're doing great work, Andrew. And, you know, I'm familiar with the Mankind Project. And, um, you know, you're taking it, you know, to a new level with, with the work that you're doing. And so, uh, you know, what's next? I mean, what are you doing? Are you writing another book? Or what, do, what are you doing next year? 
Um, you know, firstly, thank you for the, that very kind reflection. Uh, the, um, the business aspect of this is, is, uh, is a growth edge for me. So we'll continue to, to, um, uh, focus on, uh, the internal structures needed for that whilst I, I write, I've got, I've got stories bottlenecked inside of me that I need to, um, I need to bring out. Um, I'm, I do a lot of traveling to talk in this year, um, more so, more so than ever. I've only lived in the, in the States for three years and, um, it's, uh, it's just been this amazing whirlwind. And then, um, I, looking out into the future with, um, uh, I can see a couple of seeds in 2019 that are going to be focused around helping other people write their stories. Uh, I already do that when I'm when I'm doing school visits. Um, I spend a lot of time in the Montessori schools uh, network, and uh, we have uh, uh, third graders uh, all writing and drawing their own picture books, which is so much fun. Um, but there are so many. Uh, budding authors who are um, parents who have got an idea and they, they, they tell their stories to the kids, but they, they, they haven't got the, the support they need to, um, to create their own books. So um, there will be a workshop uh, around that that's coming. And um, I also hope, hope to do a 30-day a intensive uh, writing workshop for um, – uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to call us grown-ups, but um, <laughs> you know, more more non-fiction work. Yeah. yeah. So, Andrew, quickly, um, because we're nearing our the in just a moment, will be compl- um, the show will be over. So, how do people find your books? I know. Um, well, you tell us because you'll you'll be able to tell us quickly. Um, so, anyone so, who so consciousstories.com would be my preference. Um, the stories are available on Amazon, but Amazon's not kind to young businesses in terms of uh, – that's all I'll say about it. It's, it's more supportive for me if you come direct uh, to ConsciousStories.com. Uh, you, can, you can sign up for a newsletter on the top of the website there. You can also find us on uh, Facebook, and the Facebook page is Conscious Bedtime Story Club. And uh, we'd, we'd love to have you uh, following along. Uh, we will be uploading onto the website a list of events uh, uh, as we build them out, and you'll be able to to uh, perhaps come and say hi somewhere. It'll be lovely to meet folk out at a, a conference or a Body Mind Spirit Fair. If uh, if anyone wants me to come say hi at their school, uh, you know, with pleasure. That's uh, that's what I'm all about. Uh, I did I have done author in residence programs where I've spent as long as a week in the school, um, and we can always find a way to make make the money work. This isn't this is about community. This is about getting the, these messages into the hands um, and uh, the hearts and the families of, of of people who are resonant with what this is about and are looking for support in delivering their uh, parenting values to their kids. You know, you're just, I mean, Montessori, I have three children, and I raised stepchildren, and only one went to a Montessori school, and I totally love the Montessori approach. That's all I can say. Mm. You know, my youngest was reading books at age three, and they gave him books, you know, and, you know, they didn't say, I, I they, they individually work with the kids, so bravo. So, Andrew Newman, you are fabulous. I am just so <laughs> delighted. Um, to have spent this time with you, and I support your work, and um, you know we'll stay in touch because um, Spirit Seeker can help you. We're here, okay? Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, and any time you you have community looking for a little giveaway of some children's books, uh, my pleasure to to share that with your community. Sweet, very sweet. Okay, so listeners, ConsciousStories.com. Um, you tell others about this. Send the link. Let others people, other people know. This would be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful once-a-month gift to arrive in the mail and the child opening it and seeing the stickers and everything else that goes with it. Plus, you get, you know, the opportunity to, you know, have that uh, the talk 
with Zoom once a month with Andrew, too. So, okay, well, I am so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and may your work continue to reach more and more people because it's it's all hard. Thank you, Andrew, for being my guest. Good night, everyone, and we'll be back on the air next Thursday, 7 o'clock. Thanks so much. Good night. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.